0: You are listening to the one and only Sasta podcast with me, your host, Harry Stebbings. As I'm sure you know by now, you can find me on Snapchat at hstebbings with two Bs. And Mr. Lemkin, the godfather of Sasta, can be found on Twitter at Jason And speaking of Jason, our guest today was a direct recommendation from Mr. Lemkin himself. I'm thrilled to welcome Laura Belazarian to the hot seat today. Now, Laura is the founder and CEO at Teamable, the startup that allows you to recruit the best talent from your network. They've raised funding from some stellar investors, including the likes of True Ventures and faster As for Laura, she started out her career on Wall Street, before making forays into the world of Vietnamese hotel building and being a national rugby champion. As well as that fascinating background, Laura's also spent time with the likes of Fairmont Partners, where she worked on dozens of M&A transactions to large public companies. And I'd also like to say a big thank you to both Jason and Tony Conrad at True for the intro to Laura today, without which this episode would not have been possible. But before we dive into the show today, we all know that trust is a key component to the success of any business, and that's where Reviews.io comes in. Reviews Reviews Reviews.io is a Google-trusted third-party review platform and is the only platform in the world which collects, monitors, and publishes reviews. To Google, Bing, Facebook, Amazon, and more, Reviews.io is the only solution on the market which allows businesses to see a 360-degree view of their reputation across the web with their robust API that allows you to manage your reputation automatically while achieving the industry's highest review collection. Reviews.io is perfect for any business that's looking to increase conversions, build customer trust, and increase visibility on Google. Unlike competing platforms, Reviews.io do not agree with long-term contracts and even has a 15-day trial for all SaaS listeners. Simply head over to Reviews.io now and sign up for your free trial. And once you have many great reviews with Reviews.io, you'll be able to pitch VCs. And that's where Slidebean comes in. Slidebean allows you to create stunning, professionally designed sales decks in minutes, not hours. Over 2,500 companies have used Slidebean's presentation tools to successfully pitch their businesses to notable VC firms around the world. You can create a free account and start designing your pitch deck today at slidebean.com forward slash sasta. Once you're ready to unlock your presentation, use the offer code sasta, s-a-a-s-t-r, to save 10% off your first purchase. Slidebean, presentations made simple. You must check it out. But enough from me, so without further ado, I'm delighted to hand over to Laura, founder and CEO at Teamable. Good, that's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Laura, absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today. A huge hand to both Jason Lemkin and Tony at True for making the introduction. But thank you so much for joining me today, Laura. Thank you for having me. Excited. I'd love though to get started today. I think you've got one of the most diverse and interesting backgrounds, so I want to start today with a bit about you and how you made your way into SaaS and came to found Teamable.
1: Yeah, so I started my career uh, on Wall Street, literally on what the street of Wall called Wall Street, and I noticed that you know high-performing teams were the difference between millions of dollars at the end of a nine-month project or zero. And I also got involved in recruiting, uh, being one of the only few. Female- investment bankers at the time you know they they wanted to have a diverse face in recruiting and i saw that a lot of things were biased and efficient and at the same time i saw this explosion in social data talking about facebook linkedin email address books and just even bios on people on the web and i thought there was a better way we could marry social networking data with the process of recruiting
0: mm-hmm. well, i do have a first question from tony conrad atru who said <laughs> yeah. as your role as captain of the national Women's rugby team. What did that <laughs> influence and how did that prepare you for life at TeamAble?
1: Yeah, I think of, you know, all the credentials that I have were in investment banking, traveling around the world, which was very helpful. I think rugby prepares you to be a CEO in the competitive world of SaaS and startups the best. And the reason is you learn how to get the most performance out of a really diverse range of people in a very high-pressure situation. So, in rugby you have every kind of human, you have slow, fast, crazy, calm, and you really learn how to get them to work together, win with their mind, right? So you have to decide to win and then win and take risks with, with everything on the edge. And then at the same time, you make mistakes and you have to learn from them instantly and hate yourself for that second and then move on, right? And so that's a little bit of what, you know, higher-ation, fast startups are. You make mistakes, you learn from it, you hate yourself for a second and you move on,
0: right? Mm-hmm. I do want to divide those days into you. Into two very distinct halves. So we're going to spend the first half on a discussion on sales and some contrarian thoughts around that, and then move into kind of building the brilliant team that you have today at Teamable and and how others can do it with their SaaS businesses. So starting on the sales element, though, I want to start with the product that we're selling. And you've said before that it should always be premium. Talk to me, why is this? And and what are the benefits of being premium?
1: Sure. So early stage, you have a lot of things going against you. No one's heard of you. You have limited resources. And I think you had Nick from Gainsight on before that customer success is a is a real thing. And so you have limited, limited resources to invest there. And so the signal of being a premium product, right, that's a signal when no one's heard of you that, that you're legit. And also you're optimizing, you know, you may have 10 less customers, but you're optimizing for the customers that are going to invest the most in you, give you the feedback that's going to iterate your product to the place it needs to be to cross the chasm. And, And create that second order revenue of them telling their friends about it. It's much harder. And then also as a competitive signal. So if you have any competitors, we have one competitor early on that is the 10,000 pound gorilla in here and they had a competing product and we were four times as expensive as them and the the discussion just became about how much, it wasn't about win or lose, it just was how much closer were we going to get to their pricing, but we never
0: close a deal less than 2x their pricing. No, I'm, I'm intrigued though. How does that kind of always be premium mentality affect your view on both freemium and then the free trial model which are both so prominent in today's SaaS world
1: yeah I think there's categories of products that premium does result in the growth so I think like intercom and things like that where you can try it and you know your users are going to grow and the pricing it goes with that and then you know you're kind of stuck on it I think that can work but other products where you know your result is tied to something that is a tangible cost so for us it's, it's hiring and hiring a human is almost never less than $20,000 and so so trying to do a freemium where you get you get more more later uh, versus not doing free trials not doing things that extend the sales cycle and sticking to your to your high
0: pricing creates a, a better platform for growth and market positioning you said about tr- pricing there uh, and in terms of pricing of premium products we often hear the advocated statements of the likes of Andreessen who say always price high what do you advise founders with this premium product in terms of pricing and finding out how much customers are really willing to pay for their product in the first place.
1: Yeah. So there's three concepts that we think about here. So there's what, you know, who are you selling to? And in this case, it's talent. Like what is the most expensive thing, both in their tools budget and then outside their tools budget that they're paying for? And so for talent, it's usually LinkedIn is the most expensive thing. And then also agencies are the most expensive thing, right? You don't want to get into discussion of replacing their humans yet. It's not a productive discussion, right? And so you want to be able to align the value against those two things so that's where it's anchored in their mind the second thing is expanding total addressable budget right so there's other people in org that care about the results of your output right so in hiring so in our case like the vp of engineering and the vp of sales they care about that a lot and so we found ways to, to get them to give budget and support So that when you're making the case to finance, you have a a lot of ways to get to yes and a lot of support
0: from the organization. Mm-hmm. In terms of kind of handling the negotiations, I'm intrigued with a premium pricing model and strategy. Often founders come to me and say they're purely just nervous about approaching, as you said, a 4X, the competitor, with, with a higher price. What would you advise and suggest to them who are nervous about positing a much higher price?
1: And I would say just do it, right? It's a, it's a counterintuitive thing. Uh, it's a signal of value. I mean, you don't want to get thrown out of the room, right? and just look like this cocky young founder that thinks they're better than everything. Like you want to do it artfully, but it is a signal of value. And then you have to be really ready to talk about why that is the value and not just talk about it with pretty... Pictures and things like that, but actually, like ROI cases,
0: right? Should founders have a discount to match competitors? Do you think if they're in the negotiations and they say, "Well, LinkedIn is twenty five percent cheaper," should there ever be that discounting function to close the deal?
1: So it depends on like the cadence of your your sales cycle, I think, and where you are in terms and how strong your can competitors are. But I think you should move down to you know partner with them around a narrative of like this is a long term partnership. You know, we're going to. Make you a hero, and year one, you're, we're going to show you this ROI, and then next year, you know, we can have another conversation, get closer to that pricing. You know, now that we've blown the ROI out of the out of the water, and you know, you're taking less risk in your in your organization, right? You can go to finance with not our. our case but your your own right like a real one Uh, i don't think you should ever go down to their price or below them i think if you really are the premium product and you really believe that and your mind is not just hand waving like they will come back to you within a sales cycle. So we have a few examples. You know, we've been in market a year. We ha- we already have examples of people that we said no to, to match on pricing that have come back and, and bought, our, that, you know, bought a much cheaper competitor, got what they paid for, and now have come back and paid more than 2x what they wanted us to do before. So it depends on the nature of your, you know, your sales cycle and competitive landscapes. But I do think when it's not a category with a specific budget line item, you can get two or three sales cycles within a year.
0: I am intrigued. I often hear about kind of the effects of the consumerization of enterprise, and one of them being the bottoms up sales strategy. Uh, With such premium products and premium pricing, does that not go contra bottoms up, and does it forever then have to be top down?
1: No, so you can slice up your product in a way that you can get teams using it. For us, we charge per employee per month, and the reason is that. Every employee comes with a value, which is the people in their network, their ability to tell you who's good in their network, and then their ability to influence them to come to Teamable versus the thousand other opportunities that they have if they really are a high-quality a high-quality candidate. And so we often can, you know, get teams that want to try it first and be the proof point for the organization. And there's cases where you can get it so that it's that $2,000 on their credit card. You still want, in my opinion, you still want them to pay because then they'll invest in the product, and, and especially if they're going to be your POC. Uh, you want them to prove it out but you can find creative ways where they don't have to go through the whole the whole purchasing process and and get those proof points if one organization has a bigger pain point than the other
0: Mm -hmm. in terms of getting the customer to use the product uh you you've very kindly suggested to me before that it's important to create outbound culture as early as possible why do you think this is in particular with you yeah so
1: outbound culture meaning outbound like sdr you know going out to to the customers, I think it's important to do it early because, first of all, you can qualify, you know, your customer, the outbound, better than you qualify the inbound at first because you can say, like, okay, we want customers that are 150 people have is this much money, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you can now find that data on the web very easily, right? You're not shooting blanks. And then when you go outbound, you're you're casting a wider net. And so you'll find people that are, you know, they're starting to think about this. They were in a competitive process. They didn't know about you because you don't have that full optimized SEO presence yet. And they come into your, your process and it's like a three day, four day close because they were already thinking about you. The other thing is changing. Salespeople's mentality to be aggressive and go grab customers that we know are qualified, you know, whether they know it yet or or not. You know, I think that that's much harder to change later on, you know, if you're just feeding them inbound you know and, and making it uh, is this qualified let me let me close it quickly like if you have if you know that someone's qualified based on external signals that you can find on the web easily like go after them
0: can I ask would you say aggressive salespeople are the kind of strongest profile type that you want in your earliest sales hires
1: yeah we want people that are you know outbound sales driven that they don't take no for an answer they are able to work creatively with the customer to to get to yes they you know, and they hear no, it's it's no for now. And they, they stay in touch with them. And they're aggressive about uh, winning in, a, in any competitive
0: situation because that's how you're going to build your reputation that's going to have a multiplier effect. You said about being creative there from the sales perspective and in terms of closing the deal. I'm intrigued to, to agree on the deal and at Teamable, you place a lot of emphasis on on doing all the closing for your customers. So, so talk to me, why should other SaaS businesses focus on really kind of removing the friction from this process and and the benefits of that.
1: Yeah, sure. So if you're not a category yet which network-based referral, hiring, I mean we've been getting some RFPs lately which is is fun, but it wasn't a category. You know, last year you you want inertia for them and risk for the buyer that you're selling to is much higher than for you and so what you want to do is create the the materials and the motion that's going to go get them that money from the scary vp of finance that you know they put their eyes down in the hall when he walks by them you want to create you know as creative as your product processes the roi doc and and putting the roi from different angles of the organization so we have a deal that we recently closed and it's more than anyone we know the other high growth players in talent acquisition it's more than anyone's ever been able to sell to this organization for is because we created a case from the vp of sales point of view we created a case from engineering's point of view we created a case from the chairman's point of view and the combination of all those things is what got it across the finish line at a a higher price and by the way you're doing your post sales work anyway there because you want all those people to buy in
0: to the product anyway so it's a, it's a, it's a good use of time talk to me though we said about kind of buying into the product are there any SaaS customers where you maybe don't want them to buy in the product and you have to say no to potential customers and what are those circumstances
1: yeah so we have several of those where either they're not their organization is not set up properly to realize the results of what what your product can bring them and so we have you know we had a post IPO company that did a, a proof of Concept with us, uh, just with the engineering team, they got several hires that they would have been paying for agency before, but they weren't using their system of record properly to, you know, yield all the results of employees sending them great referrals. And so I knew that in the long run, that was going to result in a lot of unhappy people because the loop wasn't closed. And so I said, let's, you know, let's not continue. They've actually now come back to us and they've still set up their system of record for hiring more properly and you know we're having conversations at the CIO level about it being strategic and it's much higher pricing than before and so in that case where their org is designed to fail and it's not something related to your product you just have to walk away and, and, and come back later when they're more set up to to reap the benefits of what you're providing them Absolutely. right another case example would be like if someone's not using their Salesforce properly and you're putting data into their Salesforce, like you know you're going to take the blame for something that wasn't your fault. and It's going to have a negative reputation effect.
0: No, I completely agree with you. But I do want to dive into one of my favorite elements of any uh, interview, and it's the quick fire round. So Laura's 60 seconds faster. (laughs) So I say a short statement and then you give me your immediate thoughts. How does that sound? Awesome. Sounds good. Okay, so let's do the competitive advantages of being a female CEO. Yeah, sure. So trust is like
1: the currency of the modern economy. If you look at high performing teams, how they, you know, Google's done a lot of research on this trust is the number one most important thing and then when you have a data product you also want people to trust that your org is using the data properly so we have a thing where everyone's giving us all their contacts and we are properly using it we're just using that to feed it back to them to recommend for referrals right but I think that is good both on hiring on team building and on, you know, gaining trust in your customers. The second is people will be, you know, they'll try to explain the over explain things to you. And so you can get a lot of strategic uh, competitive insights just by getting explained to, <laughs> which is, <laughs> and, and then the third is just, you know, you have a higher standard of proof. And so you really flex the muscle early of proving things with very little money and, and very, very quickly. And that's a muscle like outbound
0: sales that gets really hard to flex later. In new categories, you've said before, find budget in non-traditional places. What do you mean?
1: Yeah, so I think I talked about that earlier. But if your product makes life easier or creates wins for any other org, then you're, you're selling it to. Find a way to create that ROI case for that org and loop them into the conversation and see if you can you can expand the total addressable total addressable budget from the org what's your favorite
0: SAS reading material
1: yeah so i'm a i'm a saster uh fangirl i'm fond of saying like the first time i read it i understood 10 the second time i read it i understood about 30 and now i understand about 95 and and the rest i go ask i'm at the saster co-selling space so the rest i can go ask go ask jason about it so
0: yeah no absolutely brilliant and brilliant to hear you're at the selling space uh final one though what do you know now that you wish you'd known at the beginning of your time with teamable
1: Honestly, I would say that like, that premium pricing thing—we iterated a lot on pricing—and there's an inflection point where we increased the pricing, and it was just a signal of value, and the machine started running in a way that we weren't running into painful laws every time we we did an implementation.
0: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I think it's an incredibly valuable lesson that all the listeners now don't have to wait years. To learn. Uh, so, yeah, don't be scared. I'd love to move into the second half of the interview and uh, away from the quickfire and i want to discuss the other lifeblood of a sas business obviously being recruiting and building the best team possible so let's start with a method of disqualification what inbound channels should founders ignore when looking to expand their teams and why
1: yeah this is this is controversial but i would argue you should ignore applicants and the reason for that is, it's going to be hard, right? Because you're going to start getting applications for the first time. You're like, wow, people care about us. Wow. They want to, they want to come work here. And the reality is that, you know, the best experienced talent, um, doesn't, you know, they don't apply to jobs that way. They tend to network their way in and it's just an efficiency thing. Like the time you spend sorting and having bad, it's an efficiency and like morale thing. The time you spend sorting and having bad interviews. And being frustrated with the process. And remember, interviews are very, very expensive in the early stage because you're having like your VP of sale, you know, really high value people in there. And so I think you should you should ignore them. Mm-hmm. No, Not ignore be polite and you know send that, you know, send them on tell them you appreciate their interest. But I think you know you're gonna you're gonna waste a lot of time with that.
0: Should founders hire a recruiter then? And if so, when is the right time?
1: Yeah, so I I think you shouldn't hire a recruiter recruiter until actually maybe a hundred employees or so. And the reason for that is you want to create a recruiting culture. Um, and what's a recruiting culture? A recruiting culture is where everyone understands open roles. Everyone understands the importance of recruiting relative to all the other things that are much, you know, often much more fun to do. And they understand that every event they go to, every job that opens, they should be looking through their network and bringing people, you know, the best can people into the process, whether it's passively or actively.
0: I do want to discuss, we mentioned timing of recruiters there, Laura, and uh, you said about kind of the post 100. On timing, I'm always intrigued with regards to diversity and when's the right time to start actively thinking about diversity for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, you want to think about diversity right out the gate. And the reason is like all studies show diverse teams make better products they do better sales. And what's happening is where you start from initially, like where you iterate your product like that you feel that throughout your entire lifetime and if you're make a product that only appeals to one set of the population that gets really hard to iterate out of it and so i'll give an example we have another pre-ipo company we've been working with it's a productivity app and 80 percent of their users now are are male and I, i personally think it's an app that you know women would use more but the there's little things in the design and little decisions now have have made that harder to get to and that market harder tap into it. So you want to have those voices around the table early. And then uh, there's like a cold hearted view about this too. I call it the Goldman Sachs view and Goldman Sachs has been doing diversity uh, recruiting forever. It's actually quite, I've, you know, we're in the process with them. It's quite diverse in their hallways um, and they just looked at it from a portfolio perspective and they say, it's just not possible that the best talent is all, you know, one color or one way of thinking or one this or that. And so we want to, you know, attract the best from every group and make it so that you know, they're comfortable here as well. And so that requires, you know, being thoughtful and aggressive about diversity recruiting. Mm-hmm.
0: Humane as ever from Goldman Sachs. Uh, but I do <laughs> I, I, I do want to ask, so with relation to that kind of diversity and hiring exceptional diverse talent, uh, how can startups compete with top tech companies today who similarly have diversity at the top of their priority list, but don't have the salaries to compete with the Facebook, Slacks, Googles of the world when hiring this talent? Yeah.
1: I mean, I think, you know, that's always a question. I think you know, diverse talent, especially like they're used to thinking for themselves, they're used to thinking contrarian, they're used to breaking through walls day after day after day from early in their life. And so they're often bolder and more willing to take risk and actually can see that salary is not everything but nonlinear growth and breaking through a... Walls is is the thing that that's like their core competency, and so it's often easier to compete uh, for diverse talent because you know their diverse talent isn't breaking the noise in those funnels at those big those big companies. They might have more dollars, but I believe they're still recruiting. I would call it resume way and you know you can think different and tap into these pools
0: and inspire them absolutely I do want to finish though today by giving away the keys to the kingdom so to speak talking about (laughs) methods of disqualification as we did there and let's talk about methods of qualification because you said before there are only two ways to hire so what are these two ways and how can we optimize them to ensure a full high quality and diverse pipeline of talent
1: yeah so I believe highly in recruitment recruiting passive talent, that means talent that's working, engaged, you know, happy where they are, growing. And there's two ways to get them. One is through direct reach out, whether that be at events or through the the web. And then the second is through your network. And there's way less asymmetric information on both sides with, with your network. And so you really need to go deep into your network. And it's not just, hey, who do you know? It's really looking through everyone that cares about your company investors, advisors, employees, you know, your spouse (laughs) uh, looking through their network and going through the the 1,200 people that they're connected to, not just the three that are at the top of their mind and and finding the people that on the surface look like have the qualifications you need and then getting that signal from the person who knows them and then that intro, which is just going to, make your company that no one's heard of or they've heard in passing or they've never used your product it's going to make you instantly legit in that talents that talent's mine and you're going to have a more a deeper conversation If nothing else you're going to learn a lot from them and hire them a year later
0: absolutely but laura as i said uh, jason and tony both said it'd be an exceptional interview i can't thank you enough for coming on today it's been incredible to hear more about teamable thank you
1: harry i love this podcast it's uh, another place that i'm learning from and thank you for for doing such an excellent John.
0: Very kind of Laura to say, and such a pleasure to have her on the show. Such exciting times ahead for her and Teamable. And again, a big hand to Jason Lemkin at Saster and to Tony Conrad at True for the fantastic introduction today, without which this episode would not have been possible. And if you enjoyed the show today and would like to see more from us, then you can follow me on Snapchat at hstebbings with two b's, or you can follow the main man Jason Lemkin on Twitter at Jason LK. It would be fantastic to see you on those respective platforms. But before we leave you today, we all know that trust is a key component to the success of any business. And that's where Reviews.io comes in. Reviews.io is a Google-trusted third-party review platform and is the only platform in the world which collects, monitors, and publishes reviews. To Google, Bing, Facebook, Amazon, and more, Reviews.io is the only solution on the market which allows businesses to see a 360-degree view of their reputation across the web with their robust API that allows you to manage your reputation automatically while achieving the industry's highest review collection. Reviews.io is perfect for any business that's looking to increase conversions, build customer trust, and increase visibility on Google. Unlike competing platforms, Reviews.io do not agree with long-term contracts and even has a 15-day trial for all SaaS listeners. Simply head over to Reviews.io now and sign up for your free trial. And once you have many great reviews with Reviews.io, you'll be able to pitch VCs. And that's where Slidebean comes in. Slidebean allows you to create stunning, professionally designed sales decks in minutes, not hours. Over 2,500 companies have used Slidebean's presentation tools to successfully pitch their businesses to notable VC firms Around the world. You can create a free account and start designing your pitch deck today at slidebean.com forward slash Sasta. Once you're ready to unlock your presentation, use the offer code Sasta, S-A-A-S-T-R, to save 10% off your first purchase. SlideBean, presentations made simple. You must check it out. As always, we so appreciate all your support and cannot wait to bring you Monday's episode with G2 Patel at Box.